Good morning. I'm glad to be with you all this morning, and I'm glad that you're here. And I know that we all come into this room with different situations, with different burdens, with different struggles, some even just with great praises. And so, though we're all very different, the Word of God is going to be the same to us all, and the Lord knows how to speak to us individually in this Word that we'll all be hearing collectively together. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 19 is where we're going to be. This is what it says. And the word... And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I'm calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and have worshipped the work of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. This is the word of God. You can be seated. And while you're being seated, would you please bow with me? Father, I pray that you would please speak to us through your word this morning. And what I mean in saying would you speak to us this morning. You're speaking nonetheless, but I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to receive that word. Lord, this is your word, and it's going forth, but Lord, not everyone will actually hear it in such a way as to respond to it. And so, Father, I pray that you would do your work in us with our ears, with our hearts, to respond to your word rightly. Lord, we know from the parable of the sower and the seeds that the seed goes out and falls on all types of different ground, but only produces a crop on the good soil. So I pray that you would please make all of our hearts good soil this morning to take in the truth that it may grow up in obedient hearts that persist. Please, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So back in 1994, the internet was new and coming about, I can still recall actually being a 16-year-old working in Domino's Pizza. And I can remember one of my coworkers saying to another young man that came in that kind of knew each other, and she said, oh, let me give you my email address. And I can remember that, just, I just remember thinking, I've heard about email, but I mean, who uses it? And who's going to use it? I mean, email, just call him. Well, now everyone has email, right? I mean, you can't hardly do anything without some type of email address. And I can also, I've also seen articles that said 
the internet is going to die out. The internet's a fad and it's going away. And back in 1994, there was a gentleman up in Washington State who was learning about the internet, as most all of us were at that time. And he saw the potential for it. And he saw the potential for selling things over the internet where most people weren't even thinking that far ahead yet. Some people were, but most people were thinking, I don't know about all this. That gentleman started a company out of his garage in a house that he was renting, and he named it Amazon. And he started selling books because of all the things that he was studying. He looked at 20 different things, the 20 most popular things that most people buy that's not food. And he narrowed it down to four different things. He said, okay, of these four things, these are kind of the most things that are small that you could ship, that you could sell and make the most money off of. And it was CDs, computer parts, DVDs, and books. And he landed on books because you could get them at a cheaper cost and sell them for more profit, and they're easy to mail. And so Jeff Bezos started his company, Amazon, and in July 16th of 1995 is when it first went live and when it first was an IPO that you could buy stock in and things like that. And when it, the cheapest that the stock ever was for Amazon was around seven or eight cents. And if you would have invested just $10,000 back when it was eight cents and sold it at the peak back in 2021 when it was $185 a share, you'd have $26 million on a $10,000 investment. Now, we all know that. We all know Amazon.com. Back then, it would have sounded strange. Let me ask you this. Knowing what you know now, knowing the truth of Amazon.com and how it blew up and how it's all over the world, if you could go back to 1995, yes, I know, some of you weren't born yet. Just keep rolling with me. If you could go back now, knowing what you know, to 1995, you know what you'd do. You'd invest every penny that you had. You'd tell all your family and friends, no, I'm telling you, this internet thing is not going to die. It is the future. Internet sales, guess what? Internet sales are going to actually over, overrun even brick-and-mortar building sales. Actually, the internet, buying things over the internet is going to get so huge, especially on Amazon.com, that some stores are even going to have to close their doors because so many people are going to be buying. And you you know what people would say to you? You're a fool. (laughs) No, you're going to put your money into this thing. No one's ever done. We don't even know know if the internet's going to really take on. And you're telling me people from other countries are going to be able to get on their computer, type stuff in, use, put money through the computer somehow, and just get stuff at their door. You have fun with that. And what's the name of this place again? Amazon.com? What are we in South America on a river? What's this Amazon business about? What kind of goofy name is that for a bookstore? Amazon? You're a fool. Knowing what you know now, nothing they could say to you would make you feel bad, would it? If they said, you're an idiot, you'd say, I don't care what you... I'm telling you right now, it's coming. I'm telling you right now, my investment is going to blow up. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your... Nothing they said to you would deter you, would it? Why? Because you know 
the truth about what's coming. You wouldn't care, even if you got fired for your zeal of talking about Amazon.com all day long. You wouldn't care. You'd be like, go ahead. I'm going to be so stinking rich. Right? Knowing truth of what's coming makes you so bold about proclaiming that truth no matter what anybody says to you if they disagree with you, right? Title of the message this morning, we must believe in order to proclaim. And that's just the truth. Because based on what I just told you, you know that you would not care about proclaiming anything about Amazon.com back in 1995, knowing what you know now. It wouldn't matter what anyone said to you, anyone thought about you, who fired you, whatever, because you know the truth about what's coming. You would be so bold to proclaim it because you believe the truth, because you were in the future and you saw it. And so Jeremiah is going to face a similar thing. He's going to have to believe what God's telling him about the future in order to take the blows that are coming, in order to take the fear that's coming, because all these high officials, as we Saul in verse 18, kings, officials, priests, they're all going to come against him. But if he believes what God says about the future, why should he be afraid? Why should he be afraid? So look at verse 11. Now, you see, don't you, why this is applicable already? You see, don't you, already why you should listen and why you should learn and why you should take these things in because you're like, you're probably thinking, yes, you know, that's, that, that, that's so true. If you're fully convinced about something, it helps you weather any type of storm that might come against you because of that. Verses 11 and 12, And the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. Now, at first you might think, what does that mean? I don't get that. I see an almond branch, and he's like, good. You saw exactly what I wanted you to see because I'm washing over my word to perform it. What does that have to do with an almond branch? I don't get it. Well, the word for, the Hebrew word for almond tree is sakhed, and the word for watch is sokhed. Sakhed, sokhed. See how they sound similar? He's basically saying well, let me back up. In the Holy Land, the almond tree was one of the first trees to bloom when spring was on its way. One of the first. It was like a, so therefore it was like a watching tree. That's why it got a name so similar to the verb watch, sokhed, almond tree, sokhed. It's like this watching tree. It watches out for spring and it announces before any of the other plants, hey, spring's coming. So this is why the Lord says to Jeremiah, that's why God gives this vision. It's like a play on words, mentioning that he's watching over his word. He says, you see this almond branch? Good, you've seen well. I'm watching over my word to perform it, Jeremiah. This vision meant something. It meant that God's watching. Specifically, he says, watching what? Watching over his word. 
to perform it. What word is that? Look at Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 6. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 6. This is an important chapter in the Bible. Cohen, aren't all the chapters important? 100%. This chapter is very key to a lot of what happens through the rest of the Old Testament. Yes, I said that, and yes, I mean it. This chapter is key to a lot of what happens through the rest of the Old Testament. Why? Because this is a chapter where God proclaims his blessings for obedience and his curses for disobedience. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. Look at some example of the blessings, verses 1 through 6. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall your basket be, and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And it keeps on with these blessings. Now, once we get to verses 15 through 19, listen to this. Verses 15 through 19, listen to how similar these things are. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commands and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground, the increase of your herds, your young, of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. Just the opposite of everything he said, right? When he's not done there. The curses in that chapter actually make up about three-fourths of that chapter. The blessings are about one-fourth, and they're spectacular. But he spends so much more time on the curses. Why? As a deterrent. As a deterrent to, of, for sin. Hey, listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, if you sin against me, if you go against these wonderful truths that I've given you, this glory that I've shown you, if you go against it, I'm telling you, this is how bad it's going to get. And he's trying to deter them. He says things like this in verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out against them one way and flee before them seven ways. Verse 36, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you as a nation. Neither you nor your fathers have known and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. He's saying, we're, you're going to serve other kings that you've not known. You're going to go to other nations that are going to carry you away where they worship idols. Verse, verse 52, they shall besiege you in all your towns. Listen to this. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and, fortif until your high and fortified walls, which you've trusted, come down throughout all your land. They shall besiege you in all your towns, throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. These are part of the curses that he made hundreds of years before Jeremiah steps on the scene. So, this is what God, I believe, is referring to when he says, you've seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. This is what I said would happen when my people turned away from me, and I'm watching over my word, and I'm going to Perform it.
just like the almond tree, watches over to say, hey, spring's on the way. My word is saying, judgment's on the way. He shows him a second vision as well. And I know these things seem strange to us. An almond branch, a pot, a boiling pot. I know, I get it. But just listen. The word of the Lord came to me a second time. What do you see? I said, a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I'm calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. And every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gate of Jerusalem against all its walls and against all its cities of Judah. This would, this would have been a big deal because what it meant back in that day that God was blessing them as a nation was peace on all sides, peace all around them. When David was king, it says they had peace on all sides. David was God's hammer for judgment of the nations around him. And he went out and he defeated those Philistines and Assyrians, all those people. And it says David had peace on all sides. There was peace. So when nations come against you, this is a sign in the Old Testament of the, under the Old Covenant that you've disobeyed. And Deuteronomy 28 is taking place. It's coming against you because you've come against God. And that's what's happening here. Now, it says judgment from the north. I want to point out something. We don't get who the nation is yet. We don't, we're not told yet who this nation who's going to come in and invade them is. We don't actually get it until later on in the book. But once he mentions it, he mentions them a lot. It's the nation of Babylon, of Babylonians. You've heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know those? Well, guess what? Those happened in the nation of Babylon. Those happened after this when the people of Israel were, uh, were in exile. They were under a different king. That's why Shadrach, and, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. Why? Because they wouldn't bow down to the idol. Well, what did God say in Deuteronomy 28? They're going to carry you off and you're going to worship their idols. So there they are. It came to pass. It happened exactly how God said it would. God knows the future. He's already written the future. We know the future even because we know the word of God. We know that to all who believe have eternal life. Those of you who are in here in the faith when you perish, you have the belief that you'll be with the Lord in heaven because your sins have been forgiven because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Your sins aren't forgiven because, you know, you're just, you tithed a big check last month. So God said, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll wipe, I'll wipe a few sins off the board. You've done some good things. No. Doing good doesn't erase what you've done that's bad. Just like if you stop at 20 red lights, it doesn't erase that you ran one last week, right? It doesn't work that way in the justice system of our day. It doesn't work that way with God either. The only way man has his sins forgiven is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to take the punishment for our sins that we deserve. Should have been ours rightly. He died to take our place. 
That's the good news. Jesus died to take the punishment that you deserve. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. And the Bible says that all who put their faith and trust in what he did can be saved, repenting from their sins. And so these people in Judah have sinned. And so when a nation comes against them, that's a really bad thing. It shows God's favor is not upon us. But he mentions here, well, he doesn't mention yet, rather, who the nation is. The Babylonians coming from the north. Now, what's interesting is when he starts to mention them, they weren't a very strong world power yet. Actually, the Assyrians were stronger than them. The Assyrians were really more of a threat to the people of Israel at that time, could have been, than the the people of Babylon, because Babylon wasn't that strong yet. So even when Jeremiah starts saying, it's the Babylonians, the Babylonians are coming, God tells him to say that, Sounds even more foolish. Because Babylon wasn't a world power yet that was scary enough to do anything. Just like if you tell people, I'm telling you, Amazon.com, it's going to be big, and they think, you are a fool. You're wasting your time and your money in that. But you know the future. You know, no, I'm telling you, it's going to be bigger than any store you can ever think of. I think you're an idiot. Have fun with that. He had to pronounce things about the future that God told him to say that you couldn't see yet, that weren't there, tangible yet. We have to do that too, don't we? We have to say things like, a day is coming, the last day when Jesus Christ will come back and judge the living and the dead. And I'm telling you, he's going to put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And those on his right are going to enter into everlasting rest with him. And those on his left are going to enter into everlasting fire. I'm telling you, this is what the word of God says. And it's coming. It's going to happen. And this is why I'm sharing this with you, because I want you to be saved. I want you to turn from your sins and find this hope that I found, this forgiveness that I found. And people say, you're some kind of fool. You think this guy that lived 2,000 years ago, that rose from the dead, and then don't you Christians believe he just floated up into the clouds? How'd he do that, Cohen? Was it a heavenly string that pulled him up? Or he just has Iron Man boots? How'd he get up there, Cohen? And then just clouds took him away. How'd he breathe after that? Did he go through space, Cohen? Where'd he go? What planet did he go to, Cohen? Oh, and then he's gonna just float back down? That's awesome. Where do I sign up for that foolishness? You're an idiot. But that's when I say, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Okay? You can call me an idiot all day long. I don't care. Because I know, because he saved me and changed my heart, I know that I'm going to be with him on that day. And he's going to wipe away all tears. And I'm telling you, I don't care what you call me. I don't care what you say about me. Because I know that he loves me. And I know what he says about me. He says I'm his and he says I'm forgiven. When you know the future, it makes you more bold to proclaim the truth, doesn't it? It does. Just like Jeremiah had to be bold when he was saying things like, Babylon's coming. And they're like, <laughs> they're, not, they're not even that strong, man. They're not, no, they're, they're not a threat, Okay. 
you're dumb. Jeremiah's ministry went on for about 50 years. 50 years. So he was proclaiming things that weren't even around yet sometimes, weren't even that tangible yet. But God said it, and so he could proclaim it rightly. What you possess truly, you can proclaim rightly. What you possess truly, you, you can proclaim boldly. And if you don't possess it truly, you won't profess it boldly. You won't. There's some doubt back in 1995 whether or not Amazon.com was going to be that big. There was some doubt. We don't know. It's little. It's out of a dude's garage for crying out loud. Probably not going anywhere. Have fun with that, Jeff Bezos. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. Sell your books. Hopefully you can make enough to pay your rent since you're renting this house. You're not even buying it. You're not even a homeowner, Jeff Bezos. So sure, there was some doubt. There's not now, is there? Why? Because now we're in the future and we know it, it, it worked out for Jeff. God has told us the future in this book. Therefore, you can proclaim it boldly. If you're not proclaiming it boldly enough, if you're struggling with that, either it shows one of two things. One, that you don't believe it strongly enough. So your, your belief is not strong enough. Or the second thing could be this. Your conscience is bothering you too much. Usually those are the two things that keep us from boldly proclaiming the word. Either our belief is not strong enough. We just, we kind of doubt. We're not sure. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's just the fact that you know you're walking in sin. You know you're struggling with something, so how dare I proclaim the truth? My conscience is killing me. There's this thing that I do, there's this thing that I'm stuck in, whatever it might be, and I just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. So how, how dare I speak the truth? I can't. My conscience is bothering me too much. Those images I look at on the internet, those are what I see when I think about proclaiming Jesus to someone. That drink that I struggle with, that's what I think about when I think about struggling with someone. My filthy, nasty mouth, that's what I... How, how dare I use that same mouth to proclaim the truth. Whatever it is for you. But whatever it is that's keeping you from boldly proclaiming the truth, being more bold to actually stand up and say, no, this is what's going to happen, and I don't care what you say about me. This is the truth. Whatever it is that's keeping you from doing that is your enemy. I told you that before on areas like this. It is your enemy. It's damning you. Fight against your sin. Have a guilty conscience? All right. You're in the right place. Okay? God forgives sinners and God helps sinners. God wants to actually help you. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, this is very serious. Listen to what I'm saying to you, please. All eyes up here, please. All eyes, please. God wants to help you fight 
against your sin and defeat it. He wants to. You've got to ask him to help your want to get there, though. That's usually why we keep falling into the same sins. Our wants aren't there. You know why you sin. You know why you keep falling into that same sin? Because you like it. That's the truth, right? That's why I fall into sins that I fall into sometimes. Guess what? My flesh likes it. Something about it makes me say, ooh, that feels good. But then always afterwards I say, I feel so horrible. What a loser I am. How can God even use me? And let me tell you this. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When that happens, expect the same test to come back, though, because God wants you to fight through that test and get stronger and get past it. It's not going to go away. It'll go away for a little while, sure, but it's going to come back. You know why? Because God wants to strengthen you through it. Maybe it's the fear of man. Guess what? God's going to keep bringing that up again until you finally speak and somebody says, you're an idiot, or you're fired, or stop talking to me, or whatever, until that happens and you get through it. I used to be so afraid to witness to people, so afraid, so afraid, so afraid of rejection. And then guess what? I got rejected. People said, no thanks, I don't want that, that's dumb. Made fun of me out loud in front of lots of other people. And then it happened and I got through it and I thought, that wasn't so bad. And I was more bold to do it later. There are certain sins that I struggle with. And then the temptation came up again and I fought harder with God's help to get through it. And then guess what? It got easier after that. But let me tell you this, if you keep doing the same things, you're going to keep getting the same results. If you keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting the same results. I don't know why I can't overcome this sin. I don't know why I can't overcome this sin. Well, what are you actually doing to fight against it? Well, I mean, I do this and this. That's it? Well, yeah. How's it working out for you? Well, I keep falling into the same sin. <laughs> I wonder why. Double down on your fight against sin or you're never going to overcome it. So it might be that your guilty conscience is keeping you from proclaiming the word of God. Double down on your fight against your sin then. It might be that your doubt of the word of God is keeping you from boldly proclaiming it because you're not even sure if you believe it totally. Maybe, I don't know, maybe. That's a much easier fight, in my opinion, because to strengthen your belief in the word of God is really great. You simply keep reading the word of God and studying the word of God with other people and being around the word of God when it's preached. And it helps fight against that doubt. The word of God's got built into it doubt killers. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Jeremiah had to declare these truths about the gates being overtaken, and no one would have thought he was right. He mentions one sin, only one sin is their crime. Did you catch it in verse 16? And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. That's the one sin he mentions here, idolatry. Warren Wiersbe said this, The sin God singled out was idolatry, forsaking the true God and worshiping the gods they had made with their own hands. In their hypocrisy, the people of Judah maintained the temple worship. Listen to this. In their hypocrisy, the people of Judah maintained the temple worship. But the Lord was only one of many gods who claimed their devotion. 
Some of the foreign idols were even brought into the temple. The false prophets flourished in a ministry that was shallow and popular because they promised peace and never called for repentance. They promised peace and never called for repentance. The people of God were still worshiping Yahweh, but they were also worshiping idols. There's a competition in your heart. There's a competition. The Bible says the spirit wars against the flesh. Whatever else you allow into the arena will fight against the truth. You allow it into the arena, though. The arena of your heart and your mind. Whatever you open your mind up to, whatever you're exposing yourself to through forms of entertainment, music, stuff on YouTube, movies, whatever it may be, you're allowing it to compete against the truth if it doesn't line up with the truth. A professor of mine in Bible college said that he was counseling a young man once, and the young man said, boy, I just really struggle with this sin and with this sin and with this sin. And he said, well, let me ask you this. What kind, of, what kind of music are you listening to? What kind of music do you listen to? And it was all secular music. He said, what kind of movies are you watching? Pretty trashy movies, worldly, filthy stuff. He said, I think we figured out why you're struggling so much. If you poison the tank... You're going to get poison water. You pour poison into the tank and then fill up your glass. Say, why am I always getting poison water here? I never feel like this water really refreshes me. You're poisoning the tank. Again, ask God to change your wants. That's so important. You keep sinning because you want to sin. (laughs) That's a period. I'm not going to stand up here and say, stop sinning, you bad person. Gosh, Do better. You're sinning because you want to. Ask God to change your wants. Ask God to give you more of an appetite for truth than for the world. Little by little, your appetite will change. Little by little, it will change. But it ain't just going to happen magically. You're not just going to wake up and say, wow, I'm like Jesus. That was cool. I'm just going to be like Jesus just because I really, really want to. No, you have to fight, okay? There's a spiritual battle going on, and our devil, the devil rather, your adversary, wants to take you down. And some of you don't even realize you're under his clutches. You know why? He's a great deceiver. And these people in Judah thought, hey, everything's fine. We can worship Jehovah, the Lord, Yahweh, and these idols. Everything's good. You know why? Because we're still... We're still worshiping Yahweh. So it's okay, this other stuff that we do on the side, no no big deal. And he says, that's exactly why I'm coming against you. You're worshiping idols. You're doing exactly what I said not to do in the word of God. When you get away from the word of God and you become a law to yourself, you think, no, this is okay. Why? Well, because I think it is. You're falling into ruin. You're going to fall into ruin. (laughs) I'm just telling you, as your friend, as someone who's been there before, the further you get away from the word of God, the closer you get to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this is exactly what happened. You won't even see it. You won't even see it. Verses 17 through 19. But you, he says, dress yourself for work. In the old King James, it says, gird up your loins. That was, um, so 
long ago, they would wear sort of like a long tunic. When men were going to do some serious work, they would wrap the extra fabric around them with a belt and tie it up so that it wouldn't get in the way so that they could work. We have a saying in our day, tighten up your belt, roll up your sleeves, things like that. That's what he's saying here. Because get ready. You're going to have to put some work in. You dress yourself for work. Arise. Say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. John MacArthur said, Jeremiah's part was proclamation as God's mouthpiece. God's part was preservation in defending the prophet. Your part's just to do what God tells you to do. God will handle the results. You're only supposed to worry about obeying God. We fail to obey God sometimes because of all the what-ifs, don't we? Really, think about it. God says, do this. Hey, give this money to this person, this ministry. Hey, go over here to this person and say this thing. Hey, take this baby into your home. And we say things like, well, what if? Well, but what if? And you're not supposed to worry about the what ifs. I had a whole sermon about the what ifs long ago. And I think I titled it, Are You Controlled by Fear? Yeah, I think that was it. Are You Controlled by Fear? It was about a year ago, I, I think, and we talked about all the what ifs. Your part's not to worry about the what ifs. Listen to me, Christian. I'm telling you, as a Christian who ha- struggles with this, if you're worried about the what ifs, your focus is off. Okay, if you're focused on the what ifs, your focus is off. You just focus on what God has told you to do. God will take care of all the results. Yes? That is so true. It is so true. And he says this You say everything I tell you to say, don't be dismayed by them. And then he says, Listen, if you get freaked out by them, if your fear of them keeps you from speaking, then he says this lest I dismay you before them. He says, if you don't go forward and do what I'm telling you to do, then your actions will fail. If you try to do it your way, if you say, you know what, I'll alter it and do it this way, make it more palatable. He says, I'm going to make you look very foolish in front of them. Then I'm going to, I'm going to dismay you before them. It's not going to work. Anytime you try to mix you into what God's telling you, You destroy it. You mix man's methods with God's mouth and you destroy what he's trying to say. Don't be dismayed by them or I will dismay you. And then he says this. He says, this is what I'm going to do for you. Look at verse 18. Behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and all the people of the land, he said, Jeremiah, listen, no one's going to do anything to you that I don't allow. You're going to be a fortified city, bronze walls. My old uh, Bible college president named Don Hawkins, he said this, he said, until you accomplish what God wants you to accomplish, he says, you're essentially immortal. Meaning, Nothing's going to take your life that God doesn't want to take your life. Until you accomplish whatever it is God wants you to accomplish, don't worry. God's got this. 
And so he's basically saying that you're going to be this fortified city, bronze walls. Nothing's going to actually be able to get you because I've made you this way. Now we say, well, what about, what about those people that do get martyred, Cohen? What about those people that do proclaim and die for it? I've read Fox's book of martyrs, Cohen. It's got more than just one person in it that died. It's got hundreds. Why didn't he make them fortified walls? Well, he did until it was their time. And I've even read accounts where people watching Christians get tortured horribly and being given chance after chance after chance to recant and we'll stop. Just recant and we'll stop. Just say, Jesus isn't real. Turn to our gods and we'll stop. And they said, no, I can't do that. And people watching that, sometimes even for hours, came to faith because they said, that person must really truly believe that in order to suffer that. So I want some of that. Just like I said, just like I titled this sermon, you must believe in order to proclaim. Do you think those martyrs believed what they were saying? Absolutely. Why else would you? I can't even talk about the details in here. It's a mixed crowd. Just read Fox's. Just read a few of those accounts. So Jeremiah was promised, though, they're not going to be able to get you because I'm going to protect you. And look, kings, officials, priests, I mean, think about it. Everybody, and then it says all the people of the land. (laughs) Nobody's going to like you, Jeremiah. Heads up, no one's going to like you. Christian, Standing on the truth will sometimes mean that you have to stand alone. I'm serious. Some of you work in organizations that are very liberal and very woke. And you might be the only one. I worked at a company once where it's just me and one other guy were the only Christians there. I only had one other guy to speak to about Jesus. One. That was it. Just me and him. And I've been in other places where it was just me. And so standing on the truth will sometimes mean that you have to stand alone. But guess what? In those places where you're the only one standing on truth, you're also the one that they go to when their lives start falling apart. They make fun of you and make fun of you and make fun of you until they've got a massive problem in their life. Then they come to you and they say, hey, uh, hey, I'm, and they come to you and they cry and they, they, they tell you all this stuff. And then they go out with their homies again. And they're all like big and tough. It's like, okay, well. I'm glad that you know I'm here to talk to you. And I'm going to give you truth no matter what. And what a great thing when people come to you because they believe that, you know what, you actually believe it because I see you actually believing it. One of the gentlemen came to me at work one day and he said, I see you. I see when all the guys start telling their nasty jokes and stuff like that. He said, I see you walk away. And I see this about you and I see this about you. I see it. And there's this other guy that used to work here He also said he was was a Christian, but then he did this and this and this. You're not like him. How did a guy say that to me once? Am I saying, see how awesome I am? I'm saying, heavens, no. People can tell what's real. And that's why, for no other reason, churches like ours should exist. Because out there, the kings, the officials, even the priests, and the people of the land are falling into Let's mix stuff into this Bible. Let's just throw that part out of the Bible. We like this Jesus better 
This Jesus says you can have your sins and he's still cool with you. This Jesus over here is like this. And this Jesus over here is like this. And, you know, you're, you're really close-minded. And the people of the land are going to not like the truth. And if for no other reason we should stand on the truth is to give a people a place to come. A haven for truth. Verse 19, they will fight against you. And I'm going to finish with this. They will fight against you, but look at this. But they shall not prevail against you. Why? For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. That should sound familiar. He said, they're going to fight against you, okay? And let me tell you, Christian, the world's going to fight against you. You're not going to be the most popular. And actually, that's a good sign. That's a good sign, actually. Because Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. If you're making everybody happy, yeah, you've watered something down badly. I heard John MacArthur once say about one of his books, he's written a lot of books. He said, I learned that there was a Jehovah's Witness school that was using one of my books in their curriculum. He said, I clearly left something out of that book. (laughs) That should have been in there. What I'm saying to you is this, if all the world loves you, you're not as much like Jesus as you should be. Because did the world love Jesus? No. He said, don't be afraid. I'll fight against you. Speak, because I'm with you. You've heard of the Great Commission. Jesus also gave a command to go and speak and encourage them by telling them that he'd be with them. And that one's for us. Listen to this. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. It was an encouragement for Jeremiah thousands of years ago that God is with you. And that's why you can do what I'm telling you to do, because I'm with you. And it's an encouragement still to us today to carry this out, because Jesus said, because I'm with you. But one verse that we don't usually think about is the verse that came right before this great commission. Verse 17, it says this, And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But look at this, it says, But some doubted. That's Matthew 28, 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Some, even seeing the risen Christ in a resurrected body, with the scars even, still doubted. We must believe in order to proclaim. You won't proclaim boldly what you don't possess truly. Father, please help us to rightly boldly and lovingly proclaim truth in a nation, in a world, even in a work environment sometimes that is just so against the truth. Help us to stand because, Lord, what will be worth more than any amount of money one day is one phrase, one phrase on the last day. Well done, good and faithful servant. That phrase will hold more value to us than anything ever 
afforded by the world. Lord, help us to be living for that day, the future, where we know our return on investment is going to be out of this world. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.